Welcome to Sedaris. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here. We're going to enter into our time of teaching now. So glad that you're joining us online. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers continue to go out to our entire nation, our entire world, with uh, increasing um, COVID numbers. Um, continue to be praying. We'll be praying together for our city and for one another. And as always, if you've been affected, if you've lost a job, if you're uh, mental health has been affected. We have a survey online. If you go to sedarischurch.com slash care, you'll see a survey and you can uh, explain uh, your situation. We've got lots of ways to help you, whether they be financially or coming alongside you as a community. Um, our care team is ready to help any and all. So uh, whether that's today or if, if something happens in the next weeks or months, please, please reach out for help. Um, just one other quick announcement. Um, obviously, this Sunday we're online only. Next Sunday we'll also be online only, and we've taken sort of a short-term decision-making approach. And so, as we continue to monitor things, we'll make a decision about uh, December going forward. And of course, we'll keep you in tune for that. So make sure you sign up for our email newsletter. Well. Today marks the final sermon in our series called Build Up, and, and we've been doing this series um, intentionally at this time in our nation's history, in an election year, in a time where it seems like we're more divided than ever, where we're being torn apart, where we're being told to make enemies of those who don't think or vote or um, experience life exactly the same, and, and, and that's so contrary to the message of the Bible. The Bible tells us to be people who build up, not tear down. And so how do we live those commands out? So we've been looking at that. Let me just give you a rundown since this is the last sermon in this series. Um, uh, we talked about how it's, you start with the gospel. That is the message of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and how uh, it is the barrier that um, is broken down by Christ so that we might have connection again with God, and then God will raise up gospel-centered leaders through elders and deacons uh, to help lead his church towards building up. Uh, we also talked about God asks us to build up with agape love. That's a very specific Greek word. There's four Greek words for love, but this is the kind of love that God has for us. It's a self-giving love. It's a love with no conditions attached that is how we build up through love. And then we talked about we build up by not judging, by being anti-judgers. So it's not our job to judge. There is a great judge, but he is the one that judges. So we do not judge. And then we're told to build up with the power of our tongue, that God has given us this thing, that yes, the tongue is powerful and it can be used for destruction or it can be used for blessing. If we use it to bless and not to curse, it will build others up. And then we said God builds up through his people through a word of loving correction, meaning all of our words are not just praise and adoration for one another or encouragement, but also we must correct. We must, If someone's headed towards a cliff, we must bring them back with a word of correction. That builds them up. And then we said we must be ready at all times. So it's through readiness that we seize every opportunity to build one another up, every, every chance that God places before us if we're not ready we will fail to build up. And then we said it's through the ecclesia. That is this word used in the Bible. It's a Greek word that Jesus talks about when he says, I'm going to build my church. It's I'm going to build my ecclesia, which actually means my gathering, which is the collection of the saints here now. God uses that to build us up. And then we said God builds up through talk of heaven, heavenly talk, talking about 
not just that future reality, but the reality that's currently present where God and Jesus dwell, that we too will get to participate in when heaven invades earth fully and takes over. When we talk about that, it reminds us that Jesus is the victor, Jesus is in control, and we have true hope. So we talk of heaven to build one another up. And then we said we must build up by being peacemakers. God calls us to be peacemakers, ambassadors of reconciliation in every relationship, including in the church, so that he might build us up and sew us back together that which is broken. And then Ben beautifully talked about last week, it's through gentleness, the gentleness of Christ, which is the power that we have controlling it in such a way so that we come alongside people to build them up. It takes gentleness. Now today we will look at one final message, one biblical prompt for building one another up. Although this series could go on and on and on because the Bible is just chocked full of talk about building up. And so obviously after today, you don't have to build one another up because we're done with the series. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Not true. (laughs) So I hope that we continue to build up even though this series is coming to an end. So before I get into it, let me just pray and thank God for his revelation to us through his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've prompted us to build one another up. God, I I thank you for my brothers and sisters at Sedaris Church who have not only taken in the words but have acted upon them to be instruments and tools in your hands for the building up of the saints, for the building up of their families, for the building up of their friend groups, for the building up of coworkers. God, thank you for not only the words and the ears to hear them, but also the power and the strength to enact them in your word, world. God, thank you. We, we owe it all to you. We thank you for the series Uh, We pray that it resonates in our heart, that it stirs our affections for Christ and therefore our affections for those he came to save. God, be with us this morning as we look at one final reminder of how to build up well. God, may you be with us in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. (laughs) If I ever look to my left here... I'm looking at both Jeff and Amanda. Thank you guys for being here. Small crowd, small crowd, but glad that you're here. So I'm, I'm preaching to you at home, and I'm also preaching to Jeff and Amanda. And we got Josh up in the booth. Thanks, Josh, for being here. That's Josh Brewer, by the way. Jay Brew. So um, have you ever driven by uh, or walked by when you're hiking like a placard that's like a historical marker or monument? Like, how many of those have you driven by or walked by and never stopped to look? I know myself, I've done that so many times. And, you know, as I get older, actually, as I get older, I find myself actually stopping and reading them. Isn't that funny? When you're young, you never stop. You only go to the gift shop, not the museum, okay? But it's important to stop and look because somebody at some time thought it was so important to spend time, money, and political capital in order to put a historical marker there so that you might recall something that they believe to be very important. And why do they do that? Why, why do people in their foresight believe that this is something that should be done? Well, the answer is that they're They're quite wise. They realize that human memory is fickle and self-serving. 
fickle and self-serving. Let me just give you an example of this. My son Grayson, five and a half years old, he has an amazing memory. He remembers all sorts of things, including just the other day he came to me and he said, Hey, Dad, um, do you remember like several months ago when you told me uh, that I'd get quarters if I did this, that, and the other thing? I said, uh, maybe. <laughs> he said, well, Dad, um, I can remember five different times where I earned a quarter. You owe me five quarters. This is like months ago. In the middle of a pandemic, this kid's got no problem remembering the things that serve him. <laughs> and so Grayson reminds us that our memories are fickle and self-serving. Come on, let's just be honest. Anyone who's married in the room knows this as well. You have a tendency, whether you're a wife or a husband, to only remember what your spouse didn't do. You do not remember anything that they did do. I'm looking right at you. You know that it's true. <laughs> Don't deny it. Send your emails to ryan at sedarischurch.com. But it's true. Because our memories tend to be fickle and self-serving. So well, guess what? God knows this. He knows what the fall did to our memories. And so he tells us to fight back. Because his people have never been immune from fickle and self-serving memories. In fact, the Bible is just chocked full of the people of God forgetting what God has done for them. Forgetting that he saved them from slavery. Forgetting that he gave them everything that they have. Forgetting that he brought them into the promised land. Forget, we forget. If you're a person of God, you are not immune to a fickle and self-serving memory. And so God instructs his people to do things to set up markers and traditions that might remind us of the goodness of God, of what he's done for us. So I just want to look at one of these to start real quick. Uh, if you've got your Bible, turn to the book of Joshua that's in the Old Testament. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and so on. Okay, so I don't even know what number. Is that the seventh? I, I read them pretty fast there. But it's near the beginning of your Bible. And, and basically the book of Joshua takes us from the time of Moses... Moses is the prophet of God that led the people of Israel out of slavery and captivity in Egypt and brought them 40 days wandering in the desert because of their inability to remember the goodness of God and inability to worship God alone. And in fact, the people wanted to return to slavery because at least there they knew they were going to have a roof over their head and food, albeit poor prison food. But they wanted it. And the stiffness of their necks and the hardness of their heart kept them from experiencing God's promises, which was to go into the promised land. And so Moses dies. He doesn't get to enter the promised land. And God raises up Joshua, who had been with them since the beginning, to be the new leader, the new Moses, to take them into the promised land. And so we read this account of them actually finally, after 40 years, getting to cross into the land that flows with milk and honey, the promised land. Land. This is the land that God has pro had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And now, finally, God's people get to inherit the land. And so, in Joshua 3 and 4, we get to read about that account. I won't read the whole thing. I'll just paraphrase it for you. Basically, what happens is God tells Joshua to, to have the priests, 
That's the Levites take the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was a, was a big golden box that, that Moses was instructed to create that was always in the temple. And, and back in the desert, the temple was just a, a giant tent that they would erect. And in the Holy of Holies would be the Ark of the Covenant. And it was set, said to be like the throne of God, that the invisible God would sit on this golden box. And there was cherubim on either side. And wherever that Ark was, God's presence was said to be in a special way. It was a, a symbol of his presence. And so God said, Joshua, have the Levites take the ark and put it in the middle of the Jordan River and I will stop the flow of the river. And this was in flood season and so it would, you'd not been able to cross with the hundreds of thousands of people that uh, were wandering together. You wouldn't have been able to cross unless God stopped the flow. And so he supernaturally stops the flow because the ark of the covenant is in the middle of the Jordan and all the people of God walk across the Jordan River into the promised land. Finally, this promise of God fulfilled supernaturally through an act of God. And so after everybody's come through, God instructs Joshua, Joshua, I want you to send one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel in, back into the river before I let the water flow again and take some massive rocks. Um, they'd have to carry them on their back, one from each tribe, and build for me a memorial. Stack these rocks one on another, create a memorial of what I've done for you this day by stopping the waters so that you might inherit the land. And so Joshua does that. He builds a memorial, a historical marker of God's faithfulness and goodness to his promises, and they build the memorial. And what seems to be, because obviously this book was written and recorded and, and transmitted both orally and uh, through writing, over the, the, the hundreds of years, and by the time uh, we get the copies of the scripture that eventually keep going, clearly this memorial is still there because they talk about it as if you can go still see this historical marker for what God has done. So let me just read to you then in Joshua 4, 26, or sorry, Joshua 4, 20 to 24, what God says is the reason he wants Joshua to do this. So actually, I'll start in verse 19. It says, the people, of, the people came up, sorry, yeah, people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. This is a city, so people would know they could go back and see this historical marker. Verse 21, and he said to the people of Israel, quote, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God, that's Yahweh your God, dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. And the Lord, that's Yahweh your God, did to the, just as God did to the Red Sea. Again, another historical remembrance of what God did for the people even before when they were fleeing from Pharaoh, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that, here's the reason why, so that all the peoples of the whole earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Okay, so two reasons for these historical markers to be created. One, 
is so that the world would know the mighty hand of Yahweh, the God of Israel. The one true living God that we worship here today. And the second reason is so that God's people, those who believe in this God, might be brought to worship. Might be brought to worship. You know, what's the opposite of worship? Questioning. Meaning, not, not that we don't have questions, but is God good? Did he really say that? Does he really want our best? Da, 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 da. The opposite of that is worship. God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you've always done. Thank you for bringing us out of the desert. Thank you for bringing us out of Egypt. Thank you for bringing us out of slavery. God, thank you. That's the opposite of grumbling. So historical markers and remembrance build up the people of God unto worship. And they also are a testimony to the nations of this God of power and might. So does that make sense? So we must also build up then with remembrance, okay? And I'll call it today the art of remembrance, okay? Write that down if you're taking notes at home. Build up with the art of remembrance because there's an art to it. Every time we see remembrance happening, there's a great art to it because it's meant to stir our affections for Jesus and the God of salvation, the art of remembrance. That's the final prompt for building up. Build up with the art of remembrance. This 12-stone memorial to the act of God right here in Joshua chapter 4 is one of the many, many arts, art, pieces of artwork remembering the goodness and greatness of God, okay? So, here's the deal. You say, well, that might be something that they did a lot in the Old Testament, um, I don't really roll like that. I, I don't do remembrance. <laughs> I'm not much of an artist. I don't do the art of remembrance. I just want to show you a few things uh, that I realized this week can be art of remembrance that I've got set up at my house that sometimes I forget. Sometimes I don't give God glory. Sometimes it doesn't move me to praise him. But it should. So let me just show you. I've got a couple of them here with me today. Uh, first, first off here, uh, I want to show you this picture. If you're, on a, if you're watching on a big screen TV, you might be able to see that. <laughs> if not, you recognize that guy? That's me. But you're probably not looking at me, and you shouldn't, because the other person sitting next to me is much um, finer. <laughs> When's the last time I said the word fine? But my wife is fine, by the way. Um, beautiful. That's my wife, Allie. This is on our wedding day, believe it or not. And um, it was a great day. And I have this sitting in my bedroom at home. Here's the problem. You know what I should do when I look at this picture? I should fall to my knees and praise the living God for the gift that he's given me of this woman. This woman who's not only beautiful on the outside, but it's beautiful on the inside. And yet, do you know what? I have to be totally honest with you. Most of the time I look at this picture, I look at my own hair. I'm just being dead. I'm being real with you this morning. I got a quad shot in my latte. Real serious. Look at my hair. Terrible hair. It was 98 degrees on my wedding day. Let me hold that up so you can get a close look. 98 degrees, and when my hair gets hot and it's humid, it curls up, and I have a natural part down the middle. And so nobody in all my wedding pictures told me 
that my hair wasn't parted as, a, as designed by me, but had fallen into its natural curly center part, and all my wedding pictures are terrible. Clearly, I think about this way too much. Why do I do that when I look at this historical marker of God's goodness and grace in my life? Because my memory is fickle and self-serving. God, help me. Let me show you another picture that I have, a historical marker I have set up at my house. You see this here? That's my son, Grayson, in the hospital the day he was born or the day after. You know how many times I walk by this picture and don't think about the goodness of God and all that he's given to me because I have a fickle and self-serving memory? This should be a reminder of God's goodness in my life. I've set it up for that, or at least that's why I should. It shouldn't be to, he is a handsome young lad. It shouldn't be to brag, but there's nothing wrong with a little brag. He's a good-looking boy. But I should remember God when I look at my boy and his goodness and grace in my life. Let me show you another one, okay? Here is, well, I'm going to save that one. Here's another picture that somebody in our congregation recently gave to me. That somebody is Lena and Mookie. I officiated their wedding, and they gave me this awesome picture uh, from their wedding. And when I look at this picture, actually, I do a little bit better. And I remember the goodness and grace of God that I would never have known Lena and Mookie uh, unless God had done the work that he has done. And so when I look at this, I remember of all the blessings. Starting a church is quite a struggle, but it's worth it. The blessings of getting to be there on that day with my beautiful wife to get to marry Lena and Mookie. So that's a historical marker. And we do this. Oh, let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. See this picture here? This picture sits in my kid's playroom. And Grayson has actually now surrounded it with all of his own artwork. If you look real closely on the bottom here, that says M. Lawrence. You know who that is? Mark Lawrence. Mark's been a part of our community for years and years now. And Mark drew this painting uh, for a sermon series we did in the book of Hebrews. And, and one day on something we used to do called Sabbath Sunday, we had sort of a reflective service. And we had all artwork all over uh, this room here, actually. And Mark drew this painting specifically to talk about, in Hebrews it talks about that Jesus is our anchor. So he drew this great picture of a storm. It's a beautiful, and it, sit, and it hangs in my playroom. And every time I look at it, I'm reminded of all the goodness that has come through my relationships and connections that God has made possible through his church. So you see, we have these historical markers everywhere. The question is, what happens when we look at them? What happens when you look at the pictures you have hanging? Do you, like me, look at your own hair and get totally distracted from the whole purpose? Do you think about, ah, time's gone by. Those were good times. Look at how skinny I was. Ah, oh, this is not how I thought my life would go back then. Do you do that? Do you, do you look at these historical reminders and wonder, what if... Things had gone different. Or do you worship God? Do you remember his kindness? Do you remember his gift of grace? Do you remember his better wisdom? You see, it's not enough just to put the picture up, but how you interact with the historical markers in your life will go a long way towards building up 
or tearing down, even in your own mind. Let me give you an example, a perfect example of this. One more thing that I have hanging in, or not hanging, but sitting on my mantle at home is this book. I don't know if you can read it at home. It's, it's a book that my younger sister Kaylee made. It's called My Beautiful Aunt Kim. Kim is my older sister who passed away in 2007. And Kaylee, my sister, younger sister, made this book to remember Kim and so that we could read it to our children to teach them about Kim. And a couple things could happen when I look at this book on my mantle. And many things do happen. Of course, uh, many times I'm sad. But when I'm full of the Spirit of God, you know what happens when I look at this book? I praise God. For the 26 years that I got to have with my sister, for the amazing, beautiful creation that she is, for the gift that she was to the world, and most importantly, for the sacrifice that Jesus made so that I might see her again, that he died for her sin, that he rose on the third day so that I could be with Kim again. All of those things, when I'm filled with the Spirit, God uses this. Even though it's a sad memory, there's so many more profound memories that draw me into the worship of my, my king. You see, I could use it both ways. Am I going to use my historical markers to worship God and to remember what he's done and to tell stories to others about who Kim was and what God did through her, even through the tragedy of her untimely death? I've got a choice to make. Now, here's the deal. We have personal historical markers, and we have corporate historical markers. Sedaris Church actually has several historical markers. You might not know about this, so I just want to take a second to tell you about some of these Sedaris historical markers. If you drive on Stoneway past the Tutabella's restaurant, if you know where that is in Wallingford, someday I want you to stop, and the first house next to it, it's a blue house with white trim, right next to the Tutabella's, share a wall with the Tutabella's building, that is where Sedaris Church began in our living room. And sometimes, some of you have probably, maybe Jeff, have I taken you by to the bells? I'll take people by and I'll say, you want to see where the church started? Why do I do that? To remember God's goodness, because what many people don't know is that Allie and I could not find any place that we could afford to live in Seattle, even, even back when we started the church. And it was 1 a.m. in the middle of the night and I couldn't sleep and so I got onto Craigslist and I found a posting for that house. And we went to that house, and there were 10 other people at that house, many of which had already turned in applications because the rental market was so um, competitive. And I said to Allie, let's wait and be the last ones to leave. And we waited to be the last ones to leave, and we got to talk to the owner of the house. And she asked, what do you do? Now, in Seattle, there's about a 97% chance that if you tell them you're starting a church, they'll kick you out. But I said, you know what? Honesty breeds freedom. So there's principle number five. And I said, listen, ma'am, I don't know how this sounds to you, but we're actually here to start a church. And her face lit up. And she said, no way. I'm a Christian, and I've been praying that the next people that would live in this house would be Christians. And she moved our application to the top of the pile. And we got that house. And we started a church in the living room. And so every time I drive by it, I'm remembered of God's faithfulness. We didn't know what neighborhood. We knew we wanted to be in Seattle to minister to young professionals. We didn't know where we'd be in the city. 
God decided for us that day that we would be in Wallingford, Fremont. You know what's also a historical reminder? This building right here. You know how we got this building? Or, or now, even now, have access to this building to use? We're so thankful for the Seattle First Church of the Nazarene. We don't own this building. They allow us to use it. Here's how it happened. We were meeting in that house next to the Tutabellas. And a young man came to one of our Bible studies. Never met him. Not even sure how he heard about this. Came to our Bible studies after the meeting he said, hey, if you guys are ever looking for more space, he could tell our Bible study was sort of filling up our living room. He said, come talk to me. I run the coffee shop at the Seattle First Church of the Nazarene behind the Dick's Hamburgers. I said, there's a church behind the Dick's Hamburgers? I went to UW. I drove by the Dick's. I ate at the Dick's many times. Thank you very much. And I never knew there was a church behind here. And God brought an ambassador from Seattle First Church of the Nazarene. He was the intern running the coffee shop that's in the basement of this building. And God opened the door for us. And we, after we outgrew our living room, moved into that coffee shop and kept our Bible study going. And then once that Bible study grew up into a, we were ready to launch fully the church, they told us, sure, go ahead and move upstairs into the sanctuary. That's where we're preaching from right now. And all these years later, this relationship God has maintained by his grace so that when a pandemic hits, guess what? We still have a place to meet. Do you see how good God is? Do you see that it's God doing something? Why do we forget these things? You know what? Every time I walk around Green Lake, do you walk around Green Lake? There's about three different spots over the years that we've done baptisms at Green Lake. We did baptisms at Green Lake before we launched the church. And every time I walk by and I see, I remember when I baptized Cameron. I remember when I baptized Lena. I remember when I baptized my wife. Those are historical markers that remind me of God's grace and everything that he's done. Join me. Join our community. See these historical markers. Remember all that God has done. It's incredible. Now there's another type of historical marker that, that is, in a, in a meta sense, the goal of my life. And that is to ruin the word consider for you. So that when you're in your business meeting as an accountant and somebody brings up, have you considered the fixed asset percentage of this? That in your mind when you hear the word consider, all you can think of is Jesus. <laughs> and you aren't very helpful in your meeting, but you begin to think about the goodness of Jesus. Have you considered? So that's why we use the word consider so often. We're setting up a historical reminder in your mind so that when you hear the word consider, and you hear it everywhere, you see it everywhere, that what pops into your mind next is the name of your Savior, Jesus. Have you considered Jesus lately? So we're setting them up, man. We're setting up historical markers so that God is glorified, that the saints come to worship, and the wor world knows that God is powerful. You know what I think is going to be very surprising to the world? When all the churches that they thought would shut down during this pandemic are still going strong when it's over. Because nothing can overcome not the gates of hell. Nothing can overcome the church of Jesus Christ. It's too powerful. Those historical minders are going to be everywhere. More on that in a second. So I want to say this. For our community, I hope that 2020 becomes for us a historical marker. I, I, I vowed, and Ryan knows this, I vowed, pastors everywhere vowed, don't be cheesy and, you, and do a 2020 sermon, right? I'm going to see perfectly the clear vision of God. <laughs> 2020 vision. But I got to do it right now because here's the deal. We will never forget the year that our world was rocked. 
at least in our generation, we will never forget 2020. It's too easy to remember what year that was. 2020. And what happened in 2020? What happened to Sedaris Church in 2020? Well, guess what? A global pandemic didn't derail Sedaris Church. In fact, in this year, in the last 10 months, we've had 20 new family members join covenantally to the mission of God. You know what else has happened? In 2020, we've had two new baptisms, and currently we have, we've had 40-plus people engaged in our Alpha course, which is an introduction to Christianity. You know what happened in 2020? Our giving financially has increased as a church. What in the world? Praise be to God. Do you remember 2020? We'll say this in 50 years. 2020 was a great year for Sedaris. A lot of great things happened. Found a new drummer, Amanda. Jeff moved back from North Carolina. This is a great year in Sedaris history because God is great. And God is always working and he's doing something we're not quite sure. But he is great and he is good and we will never forget 2020 for his blessings and his kindness to help us through a very challenging, almost impossible it feels like, river. And we're walking through on dry ground. Praise be to God. We must remember God's kindness and goodness. It's the way to build one another up. What else do I got for you? Here we go. I'm going to give you four ways in which remembering happens for Christian people, for the people of Jesus, okay? Number one, number one. Remembrance happens through what the Bible calls the paraclete. That's the Greek word for the Spirit of God. So John 14, 15 to 26 says this. John 14, 15 to 26. I realize I didn't put these in my notes, so I'm going to have to... <laughs> it's not on the screen behind me because we're online only. forgot about that. Okay, 14, 15 to 26 says this. Jesus says this. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Speaking about the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth. That is, that is the Spirit of truth. The helper is the Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is the Bible teaches that when you surrender to God's goodness and grace and you ask Jesus Christ to fill you with the Holy Spirit, he will pour his love into you through the Spirit and the Spirit will be with you and in you. Meaning Jesus and the Father, the triune, one living God will be with you in a very real and tangible way. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. Jesus is predicting his death, resurrection, and ascension. But you will see me because I live. You will also live. And that day, you will know that, I'm, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, that's not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make 
and we will come. We will come, Father, Son, and Spirit. We will come and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not, uh, does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, that is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And, here it is, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So how does God bring remembrance? Through the Holy Spirit. So what do you need? You need the Holy Spirit. If you've never asked God for the Holy Spirit, pray that God will give you the Holy Spirit so that you could remember the things that God has done, the things that Jesus has said, that you can remember. If you have trouble remembering all the things that you've read about of Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit to help you remember all that God has done in your life, all that God has said through his word, all that God has said through teachers and mentors that have come alongside you over the years. We need the Holy Spirit. Number two, we need brothers and sisters in the faith. Brothers and sisters in the faith. Because Jesus says you'll no longer be an orphan. You'll be a part of a family. Through the Holy Spirit, we're one body, one family. So how does this work? 2 Peter 1.13. 2 Peter 1.13. Here we go. This is like a Bible quiz here. Second <laughs> Peter 1.13. says this. What does it say? Okay. There it is. Therefore, start in verse 12, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body, this is Peter speaking, the Apostle Peter, to stir you up by the way of reminder. By the way of reminder. So what... Peter is saying is, listen, it's my job as your brother in the faith to remind you of all these things that are true about God. So it is our job as brothers and sisters in Christ to remind one another. And it's your job to ask brothers and sisters to remind you of God's goodness and grace and power in the world and in your life when you're struggling to remember. It's hard for me to, to believe God is good. Ask a brother and sister. Don't go ask somebody outside of the family. Don't go looking for your confirmation bias that God hasn't worked. He has worked. And a brother and sister will remind you of that. Remind you of who God is. Remind you of what he's done. Remind you of God's character. Number three, song. Do you know that there's over 400 references in the Bible to singing? 50 direct commands to sing. Commands, imperatives. You must sing. That's what it means to be a person of God. You must sing. Why is that? Well, actually, God has hardwired the brain to remember truth about him through melody. So when you set word to melody, it helps our brain remember. That's why you remember all these weird songs from your childhood and past. And God has hardwired it, and science has proven it, that this is actually how the brain works. I read a book one time called This Is Your Brain on Music, and it's fascinating. Well, God designed it that way. And then God commands us to do it. Even before we had the science that said this is how it works. God says, sing to me. Sing, sing, sing. Sing of my goodness. Sing of my power. Sing of my grace. Sing of, sing of the exodus. Sing, sing, sing. Because you will remember. I was reminded of that this week, actually. For some, well, I know why. Because there's a great Michael Jackson song called, Do You Remember the Time? You know the song? I think it's like the music video is like a pharaoh dancing. Anyhow, look it up. Do you remember the time? So I was looking for that song, and what popped in when I searched for it was Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror. 
I'm talking about the land. Okay. <laughs> and listen, you know what popped into my mind? An experience that I had. Gosh, what was that? Experience I had 12 years ago, right after I left my accounting job, trusting that God was the one moving me out, and he, uh, he, he introduced me to a ministry that was putting on concerts all over the country. That's a Christian ministry. And one of my jobs was to speak on uh, the morning of a, of a new concert to a group of interns that were helping to put on the concert. These were like in, you know, key arenas, stadiums, uh, type events, and there was a group of about 25 interns, and my job was to speak to them, and one morning, I preached a sermon, you know, I was a young preacher at that time, not really a preacher, I, pre- I preached a sermon starting with Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror, maybe nothing has changed, because I'm talking about it again in the sermon, and what came to mind was, after I gave that, like, 10-minute message to these interns, uh, my uh, co-worker, uh, he was actually more of my superior, came up to me and said, Dave, dude, you can preach, God flooded the remembrance of that moment into my mind through a Michael Jackson song, of all things. And guess what? I had no idea back then. I would have told you if you told me I would be a preacher, you're crazy. But God was even working in that moment, these little nudges here and there, to move me down a path that would eventually lead to the formation of this church. And who gets the glory? Who gets the praise? God. Song is powerful. We need to sing together. Sing of God's goodness. It helps us remember when we're having a hard time remembering. It's the songs that get in your head. What I say today, you'll probably forget the songs you sing today. I hope you'll sing them all week long, remembering God's goodness and grace. Number four, the physical church is a remembrance in and of itself. I said this briefly, so I won't spend too much time. The fact that the church hasn't gone away for 2,000 years is totally crazy. In fact, even more crazy is that the people of Israel are still around. Have you ever thought about this? The Persians have left. The Greeks have gone. The Roman Empire. All the great empires of the world have faded, but Israel and the church remain. 1 Peter 2, 4-7 says this. As you come to him... That is, as you come to Jesus, who is a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, that is, you who are part of the church, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. God is building his church up. His people are his living stones, and they cry out testimony of who God is. And what he does is that he's more powerful than any other so-called God. Because his people remain generation to generation, millennia to millennia. The church never goes away. How in the world is it still here? And guess what? This, this isn't going to, it's not going to fade in our time. Yes, we get to be a part and be living stones, but God will bring to remembrance that he is the true God through his church. And people will be baffled by it. We tried so hard. We wrote books, we made movies trying to disprove the reality of God, and yet the church continues. How in the world is that possible? Because God is real. He is living. He is not dead. He is alive. So those are four ways historically that, uh, and biblically that, that, that we're called to remembrance. And, and yet there's one 
more, and it is the greatest way that as Christians we are called to bring remembrance to God's goodness and grace, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. I'm wearing this necklace here today. Uh, I've been thinking, why don't, why don't more of us wear cross necklaces? Grayson, my son Grayson, made me this necklace with some iron and some beads. It's a beautiful necklace, isn't it? Why is it beautiful? Because it reminds me of the sacrifice of Jesus. And I hope it reminds you when you see it hanging from my neck. Every week we come together and we worship. And unfortunately in the pandemic we haven't been able to do communion when we gather together. But communion was instituted by Jesus. That's, that's when Christians come and they rip a piece of the bread. The body of Christ broken for you. Dip in the cup. The blood of Christ poured out of you. And eat it as a way of what? remembering what Jesus has done, that God sent his son into the world to live the life that we could not live, a life of of holiness and purity and righteousness, a man who did nothing wrong yet died a criminal's death. Who is he dying for? Me, in my place. He took on the wrath of God due to sin. He died. He suffered for us and he suffered with us. And he was buried in a grave. And three days later, God brought him back to life to prove that it was finished. That everything that happened on the cross that Jesus said would happen is true. That no longer does God see you by your sin, but he sees you by your relationship or your lack of relationship with Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now what is that picture of? Well, Jesus tells us because that event happened right after the Passover meal. And in the upper room, Jesus with his disciples gathered them together and instituted the Lord's Supper or communion as we sometimes call it. And he said, listen guys, just as Israel for centuries has celebrated the Passover, the Passover is when the people of God were in slavery in Egypt and God uh, sent 10 plagues on on Pharaoh and the country in order to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And the 10th plague was the taking of firstborn sons, and God told his people to kill a lamb and take its blood and put it over your doorpost so as when the spirit comes, he will spare your children. And the people of Israel remembered that. That is sort of the, one of the great cries of the Old Testament is, remember the Passover, remember the Passover, remember the Passover, remember the Exodus, remember what God did. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new remembrance. It's like the Passover, but it's a greater Passover. It's not just physical um, um, uh, salvation from slavery. It's spiritual salvation from the slave of sin and death and the devil. And I'm going to give my life. I'm going to be the new lamb. And when you put my blood over your doorpost, when you say this house is a house of Jesus, the spirit of death Sin and Satan have no place here, and so you are free from the greater slavery. That's what Jesus instituted with um, the Lord's Supper. And he said, do this every time you meet together. That's why we do it every time that we meet together. And Jesus said, do this. So I'm going to read to you now uh, from 1 Corinthians. And I think I've got the whole, the whole passage there, but I'm actually going to jump ahead, Ryan. Um, basically... Paul is now talking to the church in Corinth about, hey, you're doing communion wrong. In fact, what's happening is the rich are coming with, you know, full in their belly because they've got money for food and the poor are coming and they've got nothing to do. 
communion with. And Paul says that's creating division. That's tearing you apart. But what communion is supposed to do is build you up together. And so Paul says, don't do it like that. Share your food with one another. Because communion, that is the remembrance of the cross of Christ, is the thing that builds you together and knits you together as one. And so Paul says this. Do I got this right? No, sorry, I'm on the wrong chapter. 11, 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 24. Actually, start at 22. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. So Paul is recalling this Passover meal that Jesus gave to his disciples. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, Jesus broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, and he said, Quote, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Just like the Jews celebrate the Passover, Jesus says, This is the new covenant, the new promise. But it's through my blood, not through the blood of a lamb. I am the lamb. This, is a new, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And just this week I said, I've always wondered, what does he mean to proclaim the Lord's death? Yes, we remember the Lord's death. We remember what it means. We remember the forgiveness of our sin. We remember that he rose again and we have new life. But what does it mean that we proclaim? Here's what I think it means. Just like in Joshua, it says, when you set up this historical marker, you proclaim to the world that God, the God of Israel, the God of Jesus, the God of the church of Jesus Christ is the one true living God with the power. You proclaim it to the world. But not just to the world. You proclaim it to yourself. My sins are forgiven. He is my lamb. He has paid my price. I proclaim it to myself and not just to myself. You proclaim it to the spiritual forces of darkness. If you feel right now that you are being pressed in on, that you are feeling despair, that you are feeling deep, deep spiritual darkness, guess what? You need to proclaim the death of Jesus to the spiritual forces of this world. Satan And his minions, they want you to forget about the work of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to remind you, he's died for you. You're free. You have new life. The chains are broken. The the jail door is unlocked. You can walk out. You don't have to go back to those old habits. You don't have to go back to those old things to find life. Find life in Jesus. I'm reminding you, go. Experience the freedom and the grace of God that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross, we cannot forget the cross. You proclaim Jesus' death and the victory he had over Satan and the demons even now. Do not forget. It is the great marker and remembrance. And here's the, God has put this reminder everywhere. You can't go down the street without seeing this geometric symbol in a street light, in a painting, in art. In the cosmos, you see this geometric symbol everywhere. When you drop down into the microscopic biological level, you see this simple geograph. You think God didn't know what he was doing when he hung Jesus on a cross so that you'd see this everywhere and be reminded of the grace and goodness of God that you could not 
by your own salvation, but he saved you by his grace so that you would turn to him and worship all the nations, the goodness and power and glory of the one true God. Come on. Let's remember together God's goodness. Thank you, Jesus. So let me give you, I have no idea how long I'm going right now. I apologize. I'm full of the spirit, I hope. And uh, I'm going to give you four, three quick practical tips of how you can use remembrance to build one another up. The first goes like this. Every moment affords itself to the art of remembrance. Every single moment. Every single moment. I was just telling Scott and Claire who are up here, and they're moving uh, from a condo that they've been in for some time. I said, once you move all the boxes out, don't just turn in your key and leave. Because you know what? It wasn't the landlord that lent you that space. You know who lent you that space to live there and put covering over your head and heat so you can live and thrive? It wasn't your landlord. It was God Almighty. And whether you rent or you own a home, God owns it all and he's given it to you. So when you move, every time, just take some time to sit in your empty apartment, your empty house, and pray to the God of the universe and remember all that he's given to you in that physical location. And there's so many places. Every moment affords itself to an art of remembrance. Number two, every person can be an artist of remembrance. Every single person, every person should. I said this before. Listen, you have a responsibility to your brothers and sisters in Christ to remind them of God's goodness and grace. To, to, to ask people their story and to remind that. That seems like a coincidence. Do you think that might have been God? You think God might have been, had something to do with this? Every single person can be an artist of remembrance. But I will say this. Some of you have a special gift for this. I was reminded of this today. No joke. I'd already finished writing most of my sermon. And on Friday night at 10.53 p.m., my friend, since I was two years old, texted me the longest text that he's texted me, maybe since we've been friends. That's a long time. And he reminded me of all the things that we'd done and experienced together. And he said, God, Dave, I'm just so thankful for you and your family. And I said, whoa, that's weird. On the weekend that I was preaching this, guess what? I've said this before about my friend Brian. He is my hired memory. I have a terrible memory. He has, he has an excellent memory. He remembers everything. He remembers everything. And I often go to him and I say, Brian, God's given you a gift. You better use it to remember our childhood. Some of you have a great memory, and you need to use it in a special way in your families, in the church, to remember all that God has done. You ask yourself, do you have a special gift? God gives some of us a special gift, though every person can be an artist of remembrance. And then third, every object can be a tool for this art. Every single object. So it's not only the nice memories, but the hard memories. A broken bone, an achy pain. I think about Pastor Ryan when he got in his bicycle accident and he still feels pain in his shoulder. That can be a remembrance of God's goodness and grace to bring him through it. It doesn't just have to be good things. A limp can be the art of remembrance. An empty chair can be the art of remembrance. And also the good things. A nice house, a happy memory, a full pantry. All of these things can be tools, can be paintbrushes for the art of remembering. So here's my hope. This Thanksgiving, you've got a chance. In a really terrible year where there's probably not a ton to be thankful for, 
you can be an artist of remembrance. You can go into your family, whether it's virtual, in person. Uh, you can go with your friends, and you can be a great artist and paint for them a picture of God's goodness. Now, sometimes you've got to go outside of the current year. Sometimes you've got to go historical. That's okay. There's always something to paint because God has been so good to us, and ultimately, he gave his life for us. So would you do it? Would you be in your family or friend group? Would you be the great artist of remembering God's goodness and grace this Thanksgiving in the midst of a pandemic? Would you do it? Go. Be the people of God. Be great artists of remembrance because our God is alive and he is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the giver of so many gifts, so much grace, so much mercy, you've given yourself to us and we just say thank you. We receive the gifts. And we fight the urge to feel like we have to pay you back to earn it because we know it's a gift. Now we respond in gratitude and worship and praise now with these three songs. We give of ourselves in response to your grace. But we know we can never earn it. It's already been given freely through your son Jesus on the cross, through the resurrection and the impartation and the sending of the Spirit to fill our hearts that we might overflow in grace and mercy to others. Help us now to be vehicles to build up your church, to build up our brothers and sisters in the faith, and to rebuild our world in the image of heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.